0: So uh, as, we, as we talk about purpose and we're doing a little switcheroo like Mackie did, I was going to do the persecution lesson in here and then <clears throat> in preparing for that lesson over and over again, uh, just felt like when I started studying, I'd go, man, I, everybody needs to hear this, partly because of what you guys go through and what you're about to experience on your campuses, it is not going to get easier to be a Christian. And I'd wake up during the night and I would have those, <clears throat> those same thoughts, of you know, just waking up out of the wood going, man, I, I need to hear this. So I decided to make a switch. And so today we're talking about purpose, one purpose that we have. And if you have a Bible with you, open it to the book of Ecclesiastes because that's where we're going to be uh, spending our time. And we're going to talk about purpose on a level that's very fundamental. In this lesson, we'll really hopefully do two things for you. It will bless you as it helps you understand the call that God has in your life to embrace him wholly. But it also, the book of Ecclesiastes speaks to the messed up world that you live in. Over 40 years ago as a really messed up guy that just finally was beginning in his life together. I was in a church camp. And it was lights out and me and an older counselor that was there. At that time he seemed ancient and he was younger than I am now. So he really wasn't that old. But it, he, he, we went out by the campfire and he opened up the book of Ecclesiastes. And he walked me through a book in scripture that maybe for the first time ever, that I began to see how incredibly practical the word of God could be and how it applies to our lives. And so when we talk about one purpose, it is super important that you understand your purpose in life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's about that in chapter 1, he goes through, and really through chapter 1, 2, and into, into 3, you have a very clear explanation of what it looks like if you don't have purpose in your life and how that shows up. Now, he is writing from a person who is religious. This book, whenever I was in my greatest struggle in overcoming my my... Doubts about the existence of God, my incredible selfishness, and in wanting to do what I want to do. This book was fundamental for me. And I shared it with dozens of people who struggle in their life, unbelievers. But Ecclesiastes wasn't a book to an unbeliever. What it would, Understand, I hope this will give you some really good stuff to share with unbelievers as you look at these symptoms. But it's a book that is challenging people who believe in God. Solomon was never an atheist. He was never a deist. He had a very clear understanding of Jehovah and there being one God. But yet, even with that, his life is a testament to purposelessness. And so, you may be like that. I was when I was growing up in church. I knew what the Bible <coughs> I knew what the Bible said about God and about there being one God. <coughs> but it never influenced my purpose in life. Even though I was quote a believer in one sense. I was really a practical atheist, not believing what God said was best for me. So if you start off in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, let me talk to you some things about, first of all, if you don't have purpose, if I don't know my purpose in life, then there's going to be things that will happen. And first of all, if I don't know my purpose in life, my life will seem useless. In verses 2 through 4, he starts off by saying these are the words of the preacher, And then he says, and I'm reading through the Good News Translation simply because I like the way it reads in Ecclesiastes. He says, life is useless. I think the NIV says meaningless. The King James says vanity. Meaningless and vanity and uh, useless, they are all the same word. So he says, my life is useless, all useless. You spend your life working, but what do you have to show for it? (coughs) The world just stays the same. So he says, I look at my life... And he is struggling, he's going to tell you at the end of the book, <coughs> with purpose. And so in chapter 1, he's saying, this is what I've surveyed. And as he surveys his life, he goes, you know, it's just useless. <coughs> and I don't know if you've ever felt like, I don't know what's going on, I'm having a coffee fit here. <coughs> I don't know if you've ever felt like you are useless in this world. It doesn't really matter. If you were gone, nothing would be missing. If viewers are simply vanished from your church or vanished from this world, it really wouldn't matter because, from a day-to-day basis, you just go. I, 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 it, this world just seems useless. Then, if you are, it's a hint that you don't understand your purpose. Secondly, if I don't know my purpose in life, it will also seem exhausting. He says, "You know what? Nothing ever changes." And then he says, "The sun rises and goes down. The wind blows around and round, back again. Every river flows into the sea." The seas are never full. Then the water returns to where the rivers began, and it starts all over again. Everything is wearisable. So Solomon's looking and saying, you know, I I really feel useless because in what I'm doing, nothing ever changes. He says, I get up, to sunrise. I see that every day, and I see the the rains come down, they flow into the sea, and the seas, the, the rivers flow into the sea, the seas are not filled up, but instead it goes back to where it is, and then the sun goes down. And what he's saying is when I get up and I go to class and I study and I eat lunch and then I study some more and then I go to to, to my dorm or I go to a ball game and then the sun goes down and every day I go through the same routine. And you see, one of the things that you need to recognize is that when you don't understand your purpose, life will always seem more unsap more exhausting. Because there are things that you can do if you have a clear purpose that, will, that, that just give you energy. But if you don't believe that anything really significant is happening through you, then you're just going through the motions. And in going through the motions, it's much more exhausting than it is if you're going through the motions with purpose. Most of you have, have never probably been to a Lamaze class. Okay? A Lamaz class it comes from a doctor who believed that you could counter, counter uh, counteract incredible pain by learning to breathe well. Okay? I've never really understood that. I'm never having a surgery where the doctor just says practice breathing there. But you ladies, you get to have this this experience. And I but I've been I've talked through the years, been to Lamaz class, I've watched people and talked with people who come out of Lamaz class, and they hate going to this class. Because number one, it seems like it, it, it has no purpose. You know, you're, you're doing these things, and yes, you've got a baby, but you don't understand. But it is exhausting from week to week. But then when the experience happens and you begin to have that baby, it is amazing how the very thing that you dreaded, the very thing that seemed useless, the very thing that was like another thing on the schedule is exhausting. Whenever you have that baby, all of a sudden, it Becomes very purposeful, and in becoming personal, purposeful, the breathing isn't a burden, but it actually relieves a burden. And for some of you, your life you're going to school and you're, you've got a busy schedule. You know, we've got college students who are going to school full time, they're working full time jobs, they have responsibilities within their ministries, they help with our new high school and mentoring program. And I want you to know if you don't know why you're doing those things, you're going to be exhausted, and sooner or later you will quit because why you do things has a lot to do with your ability to do those things and endure through hardship. So if you don't know your purpose, your life will seem useless, your life will seem exhausting. Third, your life will seem unsatisfying. Solomon says no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History really repeats itself. Nothing is truly new there's nothing really sad I, I don't matter, I'm tired, and I don't get any satisfaction in this. Now, again, understand, as Solomon writes, he's not writing to atheists. He's not writing to people who have a false concept of God, they believe in a deity that's not a deity. He's talking to people who, as Matthew said, are your forefathers and your great, great, great granddaddy. And he's struggling with this, even though he often know better. And I'm thinking that there are people that are out here today, that you're here, and you're going, man, my life in ministry doesn't seem very satisfying. I sort of am involved in yeah, It's better than doing nothing, but you have an overall sense that your life, again, doesn't matter. And when you have no purpose, you're never satisfied. There's always that longing. Another thing that Solomon says in chapter 1, not only are you unsatisfied, but he says that when you don't have purpose, your life will seem insignificant. He says, no one remembers what has happened in the past and no one in days to come will remember what happened now. All will be forgotten. He's looking in the mirror and here's the thing. All of us were made by God to make a difference. And so Satan tries to fundamentally make us think that we can't make a difference. That God put within us, I believe the book of Ecclesiastes teaches, a a purpose that would compel and change everything. And so Satan tries to... To destroy that purpose and that sense of significance. And so Solomon's looking in the mirror going, why does it matter? I'm the king. I've got more influence. I've got more junk than anybody else. Nobody's going to remember me in a hundred years. Nobody's going to remember me in a thousand years. And I'm getting to that point in my life where, you know, man, I'm not young anymore. David and I were talking about the guy who spoke last night. I was actually talking to one of his associate ministers. He said, as Dave, when Dave turned 50, that he believes Dave got more intense because Dave had a sense of awareness of how he was older and he wasn't going to be here forever and he really wanted to make a difference. And I want you to know that, that, that in life, if you look even at historical figures, they're not remembered very long and their impact really is, quite frankly, minimal. There is no piece of legislator that any of our, either our current president or our last president will have enacted that is really going to make a huge difference and in most of them will make no difference in eternity. No difference. And whether they are in and who's in, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell isn't going to be any different. And when that is spoken, it gives you this understanding of how insignificant they are. The president is not the significant one in our culture. The priest is, and that's you and I. But when you don't understand your purpose you will begin to think that you're just nothing when you're really something. One of my favorite uh, singers is a guy named Andrew Peterson. And he's kind of a folk, uh, Christian kind of storytelling uh, uh, singer and, and uh, songwriter. But one of his albums that he wrote is, is called A Fool with a Fancy Guitar. And the basis I wonder where he got the song, so we've got the title for the album, so I, I get the, the song... And it's his story of him looking in the mirror and going, I'm insignificant, I don't make any difference. And feeling as a believer the voice of Satan saying, you don't make any difference. So what if you're here? So what if you're in your campus ministry? So what? You don't look at, it's just the same thing. Days come, days go, and when you're gone, you're going to be like every other college student that's on this campus and in this ministry. Nobody's going to remember your name. He has struggles with depression. He has struggles with things that haunt him from his past. He writes for my soul because I understand what it is to struggle with things that happened in your past. And to be a person who is because of those struggles and handling them wrong, went from being a victim to being someone who volunteered for hurts and things in their own life. But in this song Full with a fancy guitar, the whole premise is if I forget who God says I am, who God is that I'm really, even though I may be popular as a songwriter and I may be winning as a award, I'm really just a fool with a fancy guitar. But if I understand my purpose, that I'm a priest and I'm a prophet, that I am a representative of the most important force in this world, then I'm much more than a fool with a fancy guitar. And I don't know what you are, what field you're in, but I have found people who are, and I counsel people and study the Bible with people who are brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant people that whenever I talk with them, I know that I've got to listen, I've got to speak because carefully because they are brilliant and I am not and I want to make sure that I'm connecting with them. But brilliance doesn't remove that feeling of emptiness and insignificance. It won't. Be. Brilliant people have high... Suicide rates, and I think it is that they think they can figure everything, everything out, and when they realize that all the places they were looking were all the wrong places, they've exhausted their intellect and feel just as insignificant, and so they end their lives. I know great athletes, great athletes, who have who have made it into money making positions, who feel like they are there is no substitute. I know people who had great hangups and, and 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 drug addictions and broke free from drug addiction, but that wasn't enough to make them feel purpose. One of my best friends was a guy named Burke, and when I met Burke, he had been clean from heroin for years, hadn't used heroin for four years. But when he talked to me, he said, "Robert, he goes, I'm sponsored a bunch of people, helping people get clean, and he goes, What good is it if you're clean and as a human being you're still a worthless piece of?" Crap, and crap's not the word he used. He said, I'm really not making. He goes, I'm sleeping. I've, I've got three guys, four or five guys that i have sponsored. I'm sleeping with two of their wives. went on to say, say things that he was doing. He goes, he goes, If I don't get gripped with who I am, I'm going to end up going back to the neurons. Even though I've been clean and, I'm, and he literally was a legend in helping other people. He felt insignificant because he didn't know his purpose. Another thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that Solomon says is that whenever I don't understand my purpose, my life will seem hopeless. In verse 15, he says what's wrong can't be right and what's missing can't be recovered. There's just this hopelessness. And maybe you're here and you're going, well, you know, I felt that. I, I felt that growing up that there was no hope for me. That I was never going to be anything, that what I was going to be is some guy who, maybe got a job in a factory, maybe was able to get married, probably wouldn't stay married, but more like that, be someone who ended up either being in a jail or being addicted to something in my life would mean nothing. And I really didn't see any hope. And I was in church three days or three times a week. But I knew me. And when you know you, if you really are in touch with you, with all the twisted, demented things that you are, Whether that be you guys with some of the struggles you have or some of the girls. The the deepness that you know, you look in the mirror and you go, man, there's really never any hope that I'm going to really matter. That I'm really going to make a difference. And that is a byproduct. If you know your struggles and you don't understand your purpose, then your struggles will destroy your life. If you know your struggles and you know your purpose, your struggles will develop. You see, I get to be a part of a church that's that's a very biblically loyal church. We care very much about Scripture. We don't give a rip about tradition. You know I mean, we, we we I don't care what the tradition of the Church of Christ. I don't care what the religion. We care about what Jesus said, and we care about helping people. And so every Sunday, I get to get up before a group of people. That I look out, that are literally—I mean, you could just go down the aisle, and I could tell you stories, to you would go, "You've got to be kidding me! That happened. That person did that. That person, that guy shot a cop. No way!" Because he—he's the oldest. When you say we're, you know, a pretty ethnically blended church, and if you have any thoughts, if I were to say we got a guy in there that shot a cop, and you—you would—you might assume that it would be somebody from from Ferguson that's attending our church, and it's the oldest, whitest gray-haired guy in the church that you would never guess in a million years. And all of those are, are people are there and comfortable and changing to a small degree, even though in some ways an instrumental degree is because I understood my purpose, so my struggles, rather than destroying me, helped develop me in a way that God could help me use my purpose even more clearly. So if you look at our leadership group, you got... Guys like Juan, that's the the percussionist on the the worship team over there. The lady that he was in the foster care with for years just died this last month when she was 90 years old, 95 years old. It was not a nice lady. He got a call from his dad. Heard his dad's voice the very first time, the day that he adopted a son. It was just by coincidence. His dad said, I want to get together. I want to get together. Lives in L.A., comes to St. Louis and does not even call him. He's never saw or met his dad. It is a father, an adoptive father, works at Mastercard, has a successful job, leads a small group, has just got a new baby after three miscarriages, and is doing phenomenally. And I could go through person by person. When you look at our worship team, none of them come from backgrounds that were strong families and the blessing of God in their lives. But they are blessed by God in part because of someone embracing the purpose. And when you embrace your purpose, all of a sudden your problems stop being stumbling blocks and they will become stepping stones to where you can help somebody else. No matter what you have. No matter what, and I mean no matter what. One of our most effective ladies, one of our ladies that helps more people invest is Janice Wade. Some of you, I don't know if you guys ever heard Janice. Janice is literally the first person ever. You know how, People say amen, you know, especially if you go to black church. out. Well, she didn't like to say amen. I was preaching. She's been there like three times. And I mean, some point, about the love of God, he was a good, good father. And from the back row, I hear, yeah, you're full of shit. That loud. Yeah, you know, I tell people that didn't really bother me. It's what my wife said amen. That bothered me a little bit. <laughs> oh, come on, honey. Don't agree with her. <clears throat> but Janice didn't have a view of God as father because her dad started sleeping. every week and now she's an incredibly effective servant of God who has led and helped people who have been where she and I have both been in that experience to find life that in spite of problems is everything that Solomon misses so if you want a useful life that's full of energy and that's satisfying, and significant, and full of hope, then you've got to get your purpose down. Because if you don't get your purpose down, no matter what you do, you'll miss those things. Now if you transition now into Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he transitions from my life set, past tense as he writes, to here's what I tried to do in order to find Happiness and to find joy. Now he's writing obviously in past tense, but at some point his life sucks and he goes, I need to go on a search for something that's going to find, bring meaning to my life. You guys are in the very place to where that search in high school and college is where that search goes into full explosion mode. Where people who are miserable in things for so long and they've been restricted by their parents. Now in college, they have the freedom to go out and do the things that they were restricted to that they think are going to find, they're going to help them find meaning. And there's two areas in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 that Solomon looks for and they're the same areas that your students and you guys look for. First of all, Solomon says that he looked for this, this happiness, this meaning in life through enjoyment or through pleasure. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 2, he said, I thought to myself, now I want to experiment with pleasure and enjoy myself, but even this was pointless. Now, I understand at the time, he doesn't know it's pointless, or he wouldn't have done it. But he said, here's what I'm going to do. And the NIV, I think, says, so I said to myself, enjoy yourself. And so he, he, and, but, he but even when he was riding, he goes, okay, I'm going to just enjoy myself, he couldn't just let it go and go into the verse 3 and 4 with an explanation of what enjoying himself looked like. He had to put it in the was so that it was almost like he was saying to you guys, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. He goes, oh, by, by the way, that, that was meaningless. It was useless. It didn't work. But then he begins to go into the enjoyment phase. Now, if I were to ask you, if you looking for a good life, for happiness, for significance, for real joy, and, and, you know, to where life is good, as a college student, and somebody said, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to enjoy myself, what kind of things would you look for? Well, I would suggest to you that it's been a long pattern, to again, to get you out earlier, and we'll just talk about it. I think the first thing, if you live in a college campus, people think that, okay, I'm going to begin to party. I think most people, you know, begin in high school, but there's some students who really were kind of like me, I went to the parties and I would drink a beer and I would hold a beer, you know, and, and I'd get high and do those things, but I would never engage fully because I had this, these, this moral compass and quite frankly because I had to write a speech about drug abuse and interviewed uh, and read interviews with addicts and I wasn't made to do these, this research. I, the topic was given to and I was terrified of what I read back because whenever I was doing this heroin was huge. 35, 40 years later heroin was huge again. But I never would jump in, but in any college where you just kind of, you, you lose it, girls that were relatively, I don't know how you could be relatively pure, you know what I mean, that where sex was still at some degree of sacredness, where they weren't just going to give themselves to anybody, and all of a sudden, they're like, everywhere, with anyone, at any time. And the person who would maybe just drink one beer and not get drunk, is not getting drunk, And the person who would get drunk is now trying harder drugs. And you just look to where you have people and the number of people on the college campus that's locked out because of those issues, because of drugs and alcohol, it's incredible. What you need to recognize is all of those parties point to a very clear reality that they don't understand their purpose. And if you're struggling with that, it says that about you. And you will never avoid those things. Unless you understand your purpose, so I think about that first of all. The second thing I think about when I, if I'm a college student, no, I'm going to enjoy myself. I think of obviously drugs and I think about sex, a relationship with somebody of the opposite gender. That ultimately, I think the girls are looking for a more meaningful relationship. The guys are just looking for sex. The guys will say I love you to get sex, and the girls will get sex to say I love you. But the truth is, it is a exercise in futility because it's selfishness times how many other people you're with at the moment. And then I think about just, you know, a third thing I think about say, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever you're, you're, you're just going to, you know, veg out, and, you know, you've got your music, and all of the college students have your different, if you go to college, there's no more diverse group, you know, the, uh, people, you go into one one group of people and they practice their music, you go to another one. You're going to find out that there's another, you know, a, a particular type of music, and you still got, you know, the people that are that are the, like the, the people are into the hard rock. Whenever I go to SIU on campus years ago, and uh, it's been years ago, but it's funny because you walk in and you see the segment in groups, and you would either see them by your ethnicity primarily, I mean, the Cougar Village and the Blacks are over here, and then you look over at the one of the Chinese would be over here, but then you would see a group of people together, and almost always if it was any kind of diverse group, and there weren't very many of them. You would find out that they all shared an affinity for music and so you had all at that time the, the alternative you kind of you know Seattle sound at the beginning and they all look the same you know if you're going they're pulled together well Ecclesiastes chapter 2 after Solomon says okay I decided I'm going to enjoy myself he says in verse 3 I decided to cheer myself with wine to have a good time and that I thought that might be the best way that people could spend their short lives on earth he said, so I said, I to enjoy myself. And he said, I was going to cheer myself with wine. It's a very kind of way, isn't it? You know, I tell parents, if your son ever comes in and says, did you ask if he's drunk? And he said, no, I was just cheering myself with wine. That's yes, okay. That's what it means, all right. We're just translating from there. He goes, man, I can have got him. And then he goes, and, and again, remember, he's writing in retrospect. So for the, for the first verse will say, Part of the verse often will say what he did. And then you'll get this sort of subtle, almost subliminal message. Like when he says, I said, I would enjoy myself. Well, that was a waste of time, you know, almost parenthetically. So here he goes. So I said to myself, I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to cheer my, my mind with wine. And I thought, what better way to spend my miserable life? Like, that really didn't do much for him. Notice what he says in the next verse in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says... I acquired men, men and women singers. He didn't go to a concert. He brought the concert to him. Remember, he's got the money to do anything that he wants. So he goes. I just surround myself with music. Music calms the savage beast, right? You know, David, his daddy, when he had a lot of emotional issues. Remember, he, somebody would play for him, and it would be you know, and Saul, Saul would play for David, and then David, that same. Purity sort of thing that music can bring. And have you ever just saw people that just they just sort of immerse themselves in their world of music? And they're usually more the loner, they're put aside, and it's like there's an the universe for them. And I want you to know when you see that, you're seeing somebody who goes, but I don't understand why I'm here. I'm looking and I haven't found it. And I will isolate myself to this. And then the third thing he says in the Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse the second half of verse B, he says, uh, verse 8, he says, I acquired men and women singers. And a harem, And then, I think, maybe sarcastically, he says, the delight of the heart of men. Because, you know, I can... How, how many of you guys, I don't know if you actually remember growing up, and, and, and the preachers at camp and other places would to we'll talk about sex, and illicit sex, and how... Purposeless it was, and man, you got it. I I wasn't a child of the 60s, but it was still fresh in the mind. You had free sex. I remember preachers thinking, really talking about, man, I'm gross, and can you believe that? And I'm thinking, going, dude, that sounds awesome to me. Just being honest. Solomon felt the same way I did. But he says it sarcastically when he says, Oh yeah, I got I the very thing that delights the hearts of men. But what he's saying is, there wasn't any delight. And it doesn't take very long before you begin to feel that. So in chapter 1, he, he says, listen, here's what a life's purpose is like. If you don't understand your purpose, you're going to feel all these things. You're going to be useless. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be unsatisfied. You're going to feel insignificant. And that insignificance is going to be like a dark cloud. You're going to feel hopeless in all of these things. And when you feel like that, you're going to try to cheer yourself up. You're going to think, man, I just need to throw off the restrictions. I'll go party. I'll just surround myself, man. We'll have the music loud, and I'll find somebody to hook up with, and everything will be fine. But it doesn't work that way. Because if you read on in the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes, man, I, 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 not only did I try through being able to experience pleasure, not through enjoyment, Experiencing pleasure did I try to find purpose. He goes, I that, that didn't work, so I, I tried it through excelling. it be really good at things. And if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 again, he says, I tried finding my purpose by having more stuff than anybody else. By being better at things, more stuff, he says, I own more than any of the kings that were before me. I tried it by being the best. And maybe you're you're, you're that person who's going, man, I'm gonna, I, I want to... One of my other sons, a uh, kid that grew up living in my house, not on, from the time he was in eighth grade, he was probably there 50 to 60% of the time. He lives now in prison. And all the time when he was in our house and when he was a, a believer, the constant thing that I kept trying to get him to do and would talk with him about is listen, he always cared about, about material stuff. And I was constantly saying, you know, you can get a bunch of stuff and look like you're somebody or you can work hard and become somebody but you won't try to look like somebody and become somebody at the same time but he thought he had more stuff so when he would buy stuff he'd always buy good stuff he had a girlfriend he was able to manipulate shit he got a little bit of an inheritance he manipulated her and giving him the money and so he bought a car for him right before he dumped her and this is my son Terry's best friend And he's like a a son to me. And he always thought just more and more and more and more if I had that. And so when he got out, he got a job out of high school, got a job, was making good money, got laid off. His brother was a drug dealer. His father had been in prison numerous times for for dealing. So he picked up a drug dealer and Marlon was smart. And he had four or five vehicles. He had a house that he never paid off because if he paid it off, the cops might find out. So he... Gave vehicles to friends that he was running with and helping him sell like, say, listen, you can have this drive or whatever, but it's my car. When he got busted, the only reason he got busted is because somebody ratted him out. They broke down his door, he wasn't home, they had AKs and put him in his wife's face and went to his house. They told him later on and said that he was facing, by the way, 20 to 50 years was what the initial was. <coughs> <laughs> Charges would have lived. but they told him, "said, so listen, you know it's weird because we didn't even have we didn't even know you were dealing at all. We had dealers who were doing much less than you that we knew they were removed. We didn't even know you were dealing, which is pretty significant when you're doing two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash transactions. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars, know when your wife can steal twenty thousand dollars out of the money." You Chicago drug dealers and they don't kill you, you're doing a lot of business. And it was all about him thinking, there's well, somehow, if I just had more, if I just had more, it didn't work. It didn't work for Solomon. Secondly, he said, by being the best, so I became greater than all the kings that ruled in Jerusalem. Some of you will never party. What you'll try to do is be the straight-A student. You'll be the first one that graduated from college. You'll have that, whatever it is you're the best at, you're the perfectionist. And the only problem with perfection is that it's an illusion. I don't care who you are. You know one of the common traits of girls who have a massive eating disorder? They're perfectionists. You can parallel... Girls, your likelihood to have a eating disorder with how concerned you are with your parents and how well you go in school, the better you are at those two things, the more likely you are. Because often those are control factors you're trying to substitute for purpose. So Solomon says, I tried to have the most, I tried to be the best, then he says, I tried to work, work the hardest. He said, I found great pleasure in hard work, an additional reward for all my life. Not only is that good stuff at the moment, But man, I liked working, but yet it didn't work because he says all of these things left me hating life. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 11, and then down to verse 18. When I turned to look at all that I'd accomplished and all the hard work I'd put into, into it, I saw that it was all pointless. And I gained nothing for my accomplishments under the sun. So... You know he says next? So I hated life. You know somebody I mean, that's suicidal? Sometimes suicide comes from a deep mental disorder. Often suicide is just simply the result of an exhaustive purpose. They tried everywhere. Why do so many rich people? Why do so many Hollywood stars OD? Why do you have so many Hollywood stars kill themselves? Because don't you look at them, I mean, don't you just look at them and go, man, I I wish I could have been just a number of people in Hollywood in bands in the last year and a half that have killed themselves. These are the guys that they're looking at, the college students look at, and go, man, I want to be like them just like every generation has. Why is that, you go, why is it higher in a, with a group of people who make more money, that have more prestige, and that, why in Solomon-like people do you have that suicide well, for some people, and maybe for you and your friends right now, they are trying one thing to find purpose, and they have not got. It's not working, so they're going to switch. When you look at these people, and you look at Solomon, he's going, "Why? I've I tried, I tried wine, women, and song. i tried having more, being better, working harder. i tried position. I've tried prestige. I've tried popularity. None of it works. What do I do? I blow my brains out. And often suicide is just find final explanation, no, on somebody who doesn't get it, that God created you for a purpose, that matter, no matter who you are and what you've done, you are more significant when you embrace the purpose that God has for you. That any person that's out there, regardless of their wealth or success level, who hasn't. You guys need to know that you are the most significant on your campus. When you walk into any class, brother sisters, sister, when you walk in, you may look at the prettiest girl, the smartest girl, you may look at the ones that's going to get the best paying job. But what I want you to know is that you need to look not with a self righteous, I'm better than them, but what you need to recognize is you're the most important person in every class on every campus where you are. You matter if you have your purpose down. If not, you're just one of the other people who are ultimate losers. Because what does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What Jesus says, if you lose your soul, you are the ultimate loser. And you guys are the one who have the key to bringing into the lives of those who are purposeless and broken. Man, it is so hard for my daughter. My daughter is Ashley. I think some years on the worship team. She's the on the worship team. Ashley and Carrie, through high school, have always been committed followers of Christ who tried to reach their friends. But their friends, they never felt comfortable with the with the people that were of upper sort of the snobs. So, by the nature of who their friends were. Their friends had struggles sometimes that were... And over the last several years, both Carrie and Ashley have had probably a dozen friends who have either OD'd over the last three or four years, a dozen friends who have either od people that they were in high school with, od or killed themselves. And the only thing, that allows them to live with any hope is the realization that they did everything they could. But there are also people that were hopeless that they were able to reach. And the people that are living well now and the ones that are living poorly, the key difference is were they able to share the purpose that Ashley and Terry share? The hope of the society is the church. As you matter. And the hope of your campus it's you guys. And so I want you to understand that if you embrace know, the purpose I don't care what you look like. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how slow you might be. I think God uses me to let people know that anybody can be used. But you need to know you wake up in the morning with his purpose and you wake up with a significance that no one rivals in that campus. So Solomon finally he writes through chapters of frustration. And he gets down finally. And, and in the middle of all this, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he makes a statement in the middle of this, I'm frustrated, nothing's happening, good. I don't find any enjoyment in life. He makes just like this a little thought because he says, well, who can find happiness without God? Sort of this truth that maybe he doesn't believe before this, but as he's going through it, he's being brought back to the truthfulness. You see, you may not believe that you're significant, but I'm telling you you're significant. When you look at Juan on the worship team, it was a high school student that reached out to him. When you look at Janice, who is the person who was abused, it was another college student that reached out to her. Craig is one of our core leaders. It was a high school student that reached out to him. When we sent out our church plan, We sent out of 35 people three years ago, 23 of them were run through our campus ministry from backgrounds that were broken. And they weren't run by smart, brilliant people that were better than you guys because we don't have any smart, brilliant people in our church. From the top down, we just don't. We're stuck with us. But we're significant because of who's we are and the purpose we embrace. And man, I can't tell you how awesome it is. You know? Do you know what it is? One in seven, when they adopted Jay. Jenna, who is here, Jenna is my sister, my, my daughter in law's sister. What time is it? Let's put it back. All right, okay. My my, she was Jenna was someone who Hannah became a Christian to our campus ministry, Mary Carey. Jenna was a rebellious, and by rebellious in her search for meaning in life, she tried athletics, she was an All-State catcher who was offered scholarships, but that didn't bring meaning, so she started drinking in high school, and in her drinking, got kicked off the team, and lost all of her scholarships, and getting back off the team, and being depressed, she didn't go to college at all, she started using cocaine, and trying to find cocaine, because cocaine controlled her life, so she needed people in her life, the people in her life were using cocaine, It happened to be ladies, who were lesbians, so she lived in a lesbian lifestyle for seven years now one of our youth leaders. She's out there with a little baby or a young kid. He's not a baby. With a man that loves her with all, all of his heart. And she's won because of the campus ministry. Her life has changed. When I see Juan, and you guys see Juan, I see the kid that ran home after school to the foster home and hid at night after school so he wouldn't have to go in so nobody would know he's a foster kid. A guy whose mom was a prostitute and a crack And a dad who he never met. is one of our leaders. And whenever he got to have the baby after the miscarriages, I prayed for them every day. And I'm watching him hold that baby and knowing that baby will never experience what one experienced. Not in a million years. And it was a high school student who reached out to him. And every time I look at those people that I know that are this incredible blessing in my life. People that are so good and so godly. Most of them came because a high schooler or a college student reached out for them. We have more teenagers who have brought their parents to Christ than the parents who brought their teens to Christ. We have 500 people or are a little more on Sunday mornings now. There's about 15 of them who have backgrounds in the Church of Christ. You matter if you embrace your purpose. And you don't just live as somebody who goes to church as an obligation. Your purpose is not to go to church. Your purpose is to embrace what God says. And when you embrace the purpose, there is a serendipitous tidal wave of blessing that comes. As a result, it is cause and effect. And some of you go to church to get the effect. And because you never embrace the cause... You're like Solomon. You know who God is, but you have nothing from Him because you've really not given yourself to Him. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he finally gets down to the end. And he says, Now everything's been heard. This is 12 verse 13. Everything's been heard, and here's my final advice. Honor God and obey His commands, for this is the whole. Duty of man. Some translations don't include duty, it's the whole, the completeness of man. He says, here's what you need you need to focus as you embrace God. You do that by focusing beyond yourself and you focus on eternity. The Bible says you will live and everybody you're around with some ways forever. And you're the only chance that some of them have to live forever. So you go onto that campus with your, hand, your head held high, not in arrogance, because you're looking for that purpose to that person who will end their lives if you don't both embrace the purpose that God has called you for, the purpose to glorify God in everything you do and bring others to you. And if you will do that, your life will be richer and fuller than you can ever imagine. And if you don't, all you'll be is religious. And it's by prayer that you guys will get this as one purpose. Get behind your campus ministers. Become their greatest allies. You push that campus ministry. And carry on And we pray this. that next year when we come together, it's time that we blow out this little facility. And if you guys would get that purpose, we would. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the students that are here, God, and I, man, I am so honored to be able to speak with And Father, I know what a coward I was whenever I was a high schooler. And Father, even whenever I was older, enough, Father, I, I turned my life to you. And I was in school for ministry. But part of why I went to school for ministry is I didn't think I would make it unless I surrounded myself with people who were strong enough to, to, to buffer me and to support me. Father, I went because I cared about trying to be what you wanted me to be, but I also went because I was too much afraid to venture out. These guys venture out of it on the campus every day. Father, it's my prayer that they'll live with purpose. If they live with purpose, Father, they won't try to find meaning through enjoyment and they won't find uh, meaning through through believing that somehow that they're better, that they can that they can somehow through pleasure, father, or through prestige and being the best or or having the most. Father, I pray that you'll help them to know that you are in love with each one of them. Father, you've gifted them with special gifts, but Father, the most significant thing they can do to fulfill those gifts and to use them is to understand their purpose. So Father, give them great courage. and Father, give them a great sense of purpose that they're looking around and realizing that they are the salt of the world. They are the light of the world. They are the hope of their campus. And Father, they are the hope of that person who will go through life depressed and into eternity lost if they don't live with one purpose. So Father, bless us. Help us to learn from Solomon and help us to live in a way that gives you glory, Father. I pray in Jesus' name.